Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is April, April, August 4th, 2021, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time we have this evening. We thank you for the group that we have, and we pray that as we open your word and are attentive to your thoughts, that we will have the humility needed to help us grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity uh, to be where we are at this point in time. Those who have been called from the beginning, you chose us in him before the creation of the world. So, Father, we pray for those among us who are sick, and you know the names that are on our hearts, and we're asking uh, for healing, or that your will be done, especially. All this we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Amen. So, our normal course of study is in Romans. We're in Romans chapter 9, and today we're going to be looking at verse, oh, what is it? Verse 21, Romans 9 and 21. It says, does the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? So we will get into that in a bit. Uh, we have a little bit of time for some Q&A, so the floor is open. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't going to present any questions because I was looking forward to getting right into Romans. Well, that we can do. I just wanted to give pause for opportunity if anyone did have a thought doesn't necessarily have to be a question but so we just pause for just a minute all right so it looks like others have that same thing in mind is to go to Romans so let's do it Romans chapter 9 Romans chapter 9 uh, you should have notes and we'll get to, um, we'll dig in. There's interesting verse before us. So let's see what we can come up with. You have notes, in your notes, this is Romans 9, 21. Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? We have been saying that God is sovereign and that, his right to form the nation Israel exactly the way he wanted is within his will. Given this, his right to form the church is equally within his will. We could say that God does not have to answer to anyone he created. However, God does provide reasoning for his actions. This tells us something about our God, who is all-powerful and yet is concerned about what his creatures think of him. So that's the thought uh, as I think about this verse. 
And really, it is to say that God does not have to answer to us. I mean, we are creatures from his hand. He created us, but yet he allows himself to be transparent to us. What a God we serve. We talk about God as righteous. Well, a derivative of righteousness is he is a good God. That is to say, he has the best standards and principles, period. And for that, we can be thankful. Uh, we've all seen what it is for someone to abuse power. But when we come to God, we realize that is not the case. God, even though he has all power within his hands, he does not abuse his power or his authority. And in some cases, we're thinking, hey, God, you have the right to do what you want. And yes, he does. But wow, look at how he has revealed to us the inner workings, the intents of his heart. So we're going to dig in Romans 9 and 21. So does not the potter have the right to make? And then the first thought is, of course, the potter has rights over the clay. There's no doubt about it. We This analogy here uh, should be used so that we understand more about what the context is. So if we are understanding about the sovereignty of God, of course, God has every right to do whatever he wants with the clay. He has the right to make anything he wants. And so I follow that up with, of course, God has the right to set Israel aside temporarily and call out many sons into glory. He has a right to do that. Now, it's interesting that Israel didn't know anything about this calling, this, this church age, this whole thinking that God has given us in this age. Israel didn't know anything about it. But it's interesting that when they learn about it, they reject the fact and the right that God has sovereignty over creation to do what he pleases. And I think it's interesting that it was hid in God and not revealed prior to those who were uh, temporarily set aside. He, he did not reveal this information to them. And then, all of a sudden, he did. So the interesting part is, if Israel, if they were hearing this information, that means they have a right to choose to be in Christ. to Well, not so much to choose, but to believe in Christ themselves. They have that right to put their faith in Christ and be saved. And that never changed from when they were in Israel. That never changed. That was the gospel back then. It is the gospel right now. And it will be the gospel in the future. It, God is completely consistent when it comes to what the gospel is. And because God has done all the work for salvation, he has literally put the matter of salvation in our hands. 
we could say, okay, God, uh, I know I have choices to make. I can choose to believe in Christ and have eternal life, and I, or I can choose to reject him and not see life and the wrath of God remain on me. So we have choices to make. However, when it comes to this, we don't have choices to make. Therein lies the, the confusion among many theologians that between choices and no choices. They said, well, salvation is the only thing we know about. And obviously, if God has chosen us from before time began for salvation, then obviously we don't have a choice. So they, but then the scriptures are clearly saying, clearly, that man does have a choice. In fact, and I got this information from Schaefer, Lewis Sperry Schaefer. Over 150 times in the New Testament is the condition placed upon man to believe. So if you're telling me that it's not within our responsibility, God had to choose us to be saved. And then on, on the other hand, 150 times in the New Testament is the injunction for us to believe in Christ. I thank you, Lewis Barry Schaefer, for bringing those, you know, inf that information to, to, to print, because now we, we have that. I mean, that's obviously overwhelming evidence that salvation is in our hands. Just like it says at the end of Revelation, to him who was thirsty, let him come and drink the water of life freely. They can come, they could take it. But uh, of course, there are, there's a lot of people who think otherwise. Let's keep going in our notes. We have a lot to cover. Point B, to note, God is the one that has an eternal purpose. And therefore, all of us are here in the first place for this reason. When we think about that, uh, if God created all things for a particular purpose, and now we are here talking about what that purpose is and, and what it is not, it is, it is obvious to me that God gave us all of this within our hands. In other words, we can't even, we couldn't even talk about God's eternal purpose if we didn't have the will or the free will to be able to, to be independent thinkers. God has allowed us for our minds to think independently apart from his will. I mean, if you think about animals, they're not sitting around contemplating what God's will is. They don't know anything about salvation and whether or not Christ paid for the sins of the whole world or for some. That's not a question for animals. That's a question for thinking, rational, and reasoning human beings. And the fact that we're able to even think about such things says that that's part of God's eternal purpose. And, and that part also says, uh, that the understanding of that also says that obviously God wanted us to be here. There would be no here if God had not had an eternal purpose. There would be no thought in this. 
So in Ephesians chapter 3, 10 and 11, it says, His intent, <laughs> those two words, His intent, this is Ephesians 3, 10, tells me something internal. It'd be one thing to say, and God created all things, and all things were created by him. And But for him to start out this verse in this way, his intent tells me that God is un roll back the covers of the layers of who he is and what he's thinking, what he wanted from the eternal, eternal, uh, eternity past. It, it just rolls all that back and says, let me tell you what God was thinking. Those two words right there cannot be independently verified by anybody but God. God is telling us this information, what was inside of him, what motivated him before time began, before he created anything. He's saying, here's the reasoning as to why it all happened. So his intent was that now. Now notice, now, meaning at this time, and, and this is the time of the revelation of the mystery, as we have already, if you read prior, you know that that is the subject. Through the church, this is the new entity that God has created. It wasn't there before. It's, it's a result of baptism of the Spirit. The manifold wisdom of God. So now the multifaceted wisdom of God. The, what you would not know, but God is he's somebody who's intricate. And when we talk about his wisdom, oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom of God. Because it goes beyond what our thinking is. What our perspective is. We can't get into God's thinking because we're not God. We're, we have a limited understanding and view of things, and God doesn't. God can tell you why all things are in the first place. So it's, his wisdom is variegated. It's manifold. It's many-faceted. And we get the, the privilege now, at this time, that this information is now ours. It belongs to us. God is not just saying, hey, you over there, come here, let me tell you something. He's, this is planned that we are here at this particular time in life to know these things. And that's where we are. So it was his intent through the church, the manifold wisdom of God uh, should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, prior to this, he already said it should be known to the Gentiles. And he said, not only that, it should be known to everyone. In verse 9, to everyone. Plain, make it plain. It's not even just, okay, uh, study hard and hopefully you'll get this. He's saying, I want this information to be made plain. Because now I want people to know what it's all about. And that's what's happening here. And, and even now to the angelic realms, angels didn't even know this information. As we know, as it says, it was hid in God who created all things. So this is 
of utmost importance. And then what is all this information pertaining to? It is, verse 11, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. According to his eternal purpose. So now we have something, when we look at purpose, we're seeing plan. And we see in plan and purpose that totally uh, dovetails into intent. Because if you've got a plan and a purpose, that, that says that you must have an intent. God has something that he wants to gain out of all of this. And that's what, it sounds, that's what we are seeing here. His intent was that now. And it's according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Without Christ, I know a lot of people will say, oh, without Christ, we can't be saved. And you know what? That's absolutely true. If Christ had not come and done the work that he uh, needed to do, being the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, if he had not come and and paid for the sins of the world and, and performed righteousness before the Father, then no one in the human race could be saved. That is absolutely so. That's true. But that doesn't have to do with this, God's eternal purpose. It is through Christ that we are baptized into his body. And it is through Christ that if anybody is in Christ, they are this new creation that God has created called the church. Anybody is in Christ. It's like it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, by one spirit, where we all baptized into one body. He's talking about the body of Christ as an analogy here. So it is according to his eternal purpose. Back to our notes. So does not the potter have the right to make? Sure he does. Point C, uh, we are not here to fulfill our dreams and ambitions. Ultimately, we are here because God put this plan in motion. If we think about it, right? If you say, well, why are we here? Well, it's because God put this plan in motion. Now, anybody, any person, in any point in time could say the same thing. However, it wasn't revealed to people in ages and past generations. But now it is revealed. Now that it's revealed, anybody can say what happens here? This God, we're here because God put this plan in motion, not another plan, not another purpose. This plan, this purpose, this was his intention to do. We can read that in Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. We're already in Ephesians. Let's skip over to 1, 3, and 4. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So there, this is huge. This is something the Father has done for us. And it is obviously related to Christ. And it's, we are said to be blessed. Blessed in the heavenly realms. I, I, I'm glad it said the heavenly realms because you know what? It doesn't say the earthly realm. Because when it comes to having... Uh, money and what the earth, this earth uh, and the people on it think are grand and grandiose. Uh, none of us could boast that we have the, you know, all these super blessings on earth. We don't. 
But just know you are extremely wealthy in terms of heavenly things, in the heavenly realms. Nobody may know your name here, but I guarantee you, your name is well known in the heavenly realms because you've been blessed with what it says in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It doesn't get any better than that. How did all this happen? Verse four, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. That's how you have been blessed. Remember in Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. And the wisdom and knowledge are related to the father's eternal purpose that was hidden from ages and past generations. So he chose us in him uh, before the creation of the world. So that is to say that our choosing and the fact that he, he hid this information until now, like Paul says, now at this time. Like we read in the previous verse, he hid it until now, but now he has begun to reveal who we are in Christ. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. That is about planning, intention, motivation, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Yeah, this is us. This is, if we talk about what is God's eternal purpose, this is God's eternal purpose. Of all things, this is not even related to salvation, even though he's only choosing out of saved people. Even though, But salvation is whosoever will, let him come. God already knows whosoever will. And out of those who will, he chose. The certain ones, not all. Certain ones. So let's keep going in our notes. What... Point D, what drives Roman, Romans 9 is knowing why God is saying what he is saying. Those who miss that, the scripture can be like clay in their hands. And this is 1 Corinthians 4, 6. You could read it if you like. It talks about um, do not go beyond what is written. And for people who who don't haven't followed it along like we have verse by verse and in the context making sure that we have crossed every t and dotted every i they will they can come up with any purpose they want they don't have to talk about the father's eternal purpose which is what was the whole subject in Romans 8 and and even 7 it's what God has done with us specially and when we think about it, you know, it is rejected. And who is the main ones to reject it? Israel. So people had not followed along with the apostles' thinking so that now they are taking the apostles' words out of context. That's what's going on in the world today. So as I say, what drives Romans 9 is, is knowing the context, knowing why God is saying what he is saying. Right. Those who miss that, the scripture can be like clay in their hands. They can choose to do whatever they want, to say whatever they want, because it doesn't relate to God's eternal purpose. It doesn't relate to the contextual understanding revealed in the scriptures by God the Holy Spirit. Point E. 
has the potter no right? It's just right. Does not the potter have the right to make? In other words, does he not have power to make? Right? Does he have no right in doing this? So really, God is responding to Israel's claims and stating the obvious that he has full rights here. It's a rhetorical question, this uh, statement, to say, of course God has the right to do what he wants with his creation. It's not just, okay, I created creation, I didn't really have a purpose, but uh, go ahead and do what you want to do. Right? And this is why I said earlier, it's not about our dreams and ambitions. Right? I know a lot of people ignorant of God's eternal purpose, will think that it is about their dreams and ambitions. They'll think, well, okay, I'm here now. I'm an adult. I can do what I want. I can dream and and I can uh, be whatever I want to be. And I know this is very popular today. And I think it is almost uh, a disservice for parents to tell their kids that they can't do certain things. Today, everybody, the whole thought is... Let your kid know that they can do whatever they put it in their mind to do in this world. You know, and all of that will make it feel or seem like the world revolves around them. But really, God is in control of the things that are going on down here. And while we can say, well, I'm working out my own plan. I'm trying to find my niche in life. I'm trying to find where I fit in. The real deal is that God has a plan. God has priorities in this world. And all of us are here, thinking our own thoughts, thinking some other's thoughts, whatever we're thinking. But really, we're all here because God has a plan. If God didn't have this plan, we would not be here. There would be no creation. There would be no us. There would be no thought of it. And all of this revolves around God's eternal purpose. Whether you uh, adhere to it, say, I I believe it, or if you don't, you're still here as a result of God's eternal purpose. And this is where God definitely has the right to do what he wants. He designed it the way he wanted to do it, and he didn't. He didn't ask you because you weren't there. This is like when it comes to Christ dying for our sins. Did Christ stop when he got to your sins and ask you, hold on, are you agree? Do you agree that I should die for you? It, it was taken out of your hands. It wasn't even a question. God did it, and that's the end of the story. He didn't ask your permission to do it. He just did it as part of the plan. And you could say, well, I don't want him dying for my sins. Too late. He did it before you were born. This is the plan of God that we're talking about here. You are not your own when it comes to this. And nobody is because nobody is here on their own power. God had to give them life. If they're here, God gave them life. And that means he gave them life as a part of his eternal purpose. He knows some people are not going to believe in Christ. He knows some people he gave life to are not going to come to understand his eternal purpose, but they're part of it nonetheless. So yes, he has rights. And 
So God is he's responding to Israel's claims and is stating the obvious that he has full rights here. Israel is trying to limit God. The only way God would be saying things like this is if he heard their objections and he is answering them. He has a right. So we're moving forward. Let's see what the time is. We're good time. So point number two. So, so this is the statement. Does not the potter have the right to make, and here's point number two, out of the same lump of clay, some pottery for special purposes? Now let's look at this phrase, and we'll get to the some for common use phrase in a minute. So some for special purposes, out of the same, and this is point A, out of the same lump. In other words, God made us all, but he did not choose all for his eternal purpose. I just think about that for a minute. He made us all. We kind of covered that in the previous points. But, but he did not choose all for his eternal purpose. So he might, you might say we're all human beings out of the same lump of clay. But some pottery God chose for special purposes. So some pottery God said, they have been not only chosen, but they have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Some, he has chosen for that. Some, that, and that was God's own doing. It, it, what, how, does, how does that work out? God had to choose those ones who uh, are special in that regard, who are chosen. That's the only reason that they stand out is because of God and his choices, not because of who they are. What are they? They're the same lump of clay that is everyone else. And you could you could say to yourself, well, you have humble beginnings. You were born in Adam. Uh, you were born a Gentile or a Jew. Doesn't matter. God took from the Jews and he took from the Gentiles to make one new man, says Ephesians 2. And it has nothing to do with the law. The one new man is not Israel, you know, extended Israel. It has nothing to do with the law. We're not under the law. He destroyed the barrier that was against us, the law with its commandments and all of that. God, move that away. Move it aside. And God made of the two one new man. New, never before seen man. That's the new Kainos in the Greek type of man that it is, that he is. So the fact that God chose us has to do with a plan. And we could even talk about the, the fact that he chose us means that he must have a plan to equip us for whatever it is he wants us to be or, or, or what result he wants to have from us. We could, we're not even at that point. We're only thinking about God's right and choosing, which he has. He has fully has. He made us all, but he did not choose all for his eternal purpose. That is for real. And we talk about a lot of people who are chosen. Many people don't know what they're chosen for. They'll quickly tell you, I'm called, I'm chosen. But if you ask them, for what? What are you chosen for? And I think things get a little sketchy now. Because this is what God is talking about when he tells us that we have been chosen. Like we read Ephesians 1, verse 4. For he chose us in him 
for the creation of the world. He didn't chose you to be a banker or uh, a lawyer or a doctor. Those things are inconsequential. All of those things are the same lump of clay. But the fact that he chose you in him before the creation of the world speaks of some, some special use that we have before God. In fact, I like the word holy, hagias. That means that we are set apart for God's special purposes. We are, ho- we are said to be holy ones. Saint, saints is a, the old King uh, uh, English, old King James English. We are saints. Uh, but really, we, that verse translates out to be holy ones who are set apart to God for his special purposes. And, and that's, what, that's exactly what we are. He chose us, and that made us special. Point B, that leads us right to there. The fact that he chose us means he did not choose others. That's what it means. I mean, if we said, well, he chose you, but then everybody else is chosen too. Well, then why even say he chose us? He chose us for what? If everybody is chosen, that means it's not special. Might as well not even say he chose us. Because everybody has the same lot. Everybody is the same. He chose us. And then he hid it from ages and past generations. Because he didn't choose them. They weren't chosen. He chose us. And so what does he do? He reveals it to us. And is very transparent about what his motives are. What his intentions are. And what his eternal purpose is. So don't think, if I pick, out of, if 10 people are standing in the line and I pick two out of the 10, well, already I didn't pick eight. I picked two. So what happens to the eight? They're not chosen. I didn't choose them. So you can see the problem that this is going to cause for people who think this is about salvation. So they'll say, oh, well, if God chose you for salvation, what about the other people? Well, he didn't choose them for salvation. Are they reprobate? Right? And uh, this gets into that whole thing, which is a false reasoning from the, from the start, because that is not what we're talking about. So we'll get into that. And later, where we'll, we'll, I, show, I show an excerpt where that opinion or way of thinking is, is played out. So the fact that he chose us means he did not choose others. That should be common reasoning and not everybody is chosen and but everybody in this age who believes in Christ is chosen God knew so that's what it says he chose us in him before creation of the world that has to do with before before time began point c in our notes 2c for instance there's an example Israel was chosen by God but other nations were not God is the one who formed Israel. But did he form other nations? Were there other names that we could... I know we know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but what about Egypt? Did God form the nation of Egypt? No. He did not. He formed the nation Israel. And he was very specific about it. And we've already read that. We've gone through that in Romans 9. It didn't refer to Israel's salvation. 
refers to Israel being formed as a nation. And they had a special role before God. So, for instance, Israel was chosen by God, but other nations were not. Remember, Israel was not chosen by God for salvation. That's point C. Just remember that. Some people somehow uh, have forgotten all of the points that were made earlier in the context. We are not going to do that. Point D. Ironically, God chose Israel to be his priest nation to the other nations. Isn't that interesting? I say ironically. Because what was Israel supposed to be helping other nations with? Uh, salvation. <laughs> They're supposed to be telling other nations about God and his ways of righteousness and how you could approach God and have eternal life. So, and, and yet, what did Israel do as they are the chosen people of God, the people of earth, on earth? What did they do with that calling? They excluded themselves from the Gentiles. They didn't want to talk to the Gentiles. They didn't want to be the priest nation to the Gentiles. They said, well, we're just special before you, God. Which was all wrong in the way they were thinking about this. So what did Israel do with their, with their special calling? They blew it. <laughs> I wouldn't say completely, but when it comes to the majority thought they were disciplined many times and they did not fulfill their purpose, but they will in the future. Point E. <clears throat> so it says out of the same lump of clay, some pottery for special purposes. Let's think about. So Israel was really the servant of other nations. If we think about what is a servant. And I know we have turned this whole thing around, right? And we talk about a minister today. And people think, well, you're a minister, so we need to serve you. Really, the idea was a minister was to serve other the people. And so this is the same thing with Stephen. He was a minister. He was a deacon. And what was his objective? It was to serve. And, you know, they had so many, the apostles were so busy, they didn't have time uh, to manage all of the necessary things for the people. So they appointed Certain ministers. A minister means a helper, someone who helps. Someone who looks at the needs of others and does their best to supply them. So for somebody to minister to you means they serve you. That they, uh, they give you what you need. And somehow we think ministers are people who are sitting in, in the high chair and you know everybody comes and serves them. That's opposite of what is true. So maybe some people need to really think about this whole lust to be a minister, a pastor today. Because that's really, it's about serving others. It's all the information that you gain. It's God is, uh, helps you to understand and you're supposed to communicate that to others. So special Israel was a servant of all nations. This is why it's ironic for them to exclude themselves but they were supposed to learn God, his ways, and it was all throughout their culture. All the different feast days and holy days that they had all spoke of aspects of who God is and what God was all about. So, so Israel had to learn God's ways, and then it was upon them 
to go to other nations and help them understand who God was. So this is a special purpose, I say for sure. And imagine, they are God's hands and feet on the ground, literally, to help people come to the knowledge of salvation. Obviously, the mystery wasn't revealed, but what was revealed was salvation. And Israel's whole economy, everything about their nation was about salvation, the milk of the word. All right, let's keep going in our notes. So we're at, we're at point number three. So does the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes, and three, here it is, and some for common use? So the first thought is common use is not a special purpose. So if I look at, in the context, what does he mean by common use? I look at verses 13 and 17 in Romans 9. Romans 9, 13 says, Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. So here the twins, it has nothing to do with before the twins were born, before anything happened, before they did anything good or bad, God had this opinion. He says, I'm choosing Jacob, not Esau. Jacob I loved, it's expressed by saying, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And then, comes back with what what then shall we say is god unjust not at all that's verse 14 i know i don't have that in the notes but just think about it even there god is saying i can choose jacob over esau if i want to god say i have every right to choose jacob over esau it's my choice it's not jacob's choice it's not it's not esau's choice it's not uh, rebecca's choice it's not sarah's choice it's not Abraham's choice. It's God's choice. He did it. So that's something we have to reckon with. In verse 17 also, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So again, people think that's some kind of squirrely statement where God is exercising power that he doesn't have. God is saying that he used Pharaoh's resistance for his glory. Who did Pharaoh resist of his own free will? Absolutely. We already demonstrated that he did. This was the, when God and Pharaoh met, Pharaoh came away with a mindset of what he would and would not do. And that was bottom line. God says, yeah, I know that that's the case. I'm going to take that and use that for my glory. And he did just that. So Pharaoh, uh, he could make whatever he wants. Pharaoh's the same lump of clay that Moses was. Pharaoh's the same lump of clay, but, but Pharaoh had a different purpose. God used some for different purposes than he used for others. And even, I'm going all the way back to Israel to illustrate this, but really, we can illustrate this by just looking at the church. God has made us special. We have been chosen. We're in Christ. We're new creations. And this is unprecedented, what God has made of us. And really, that's the point of it all, what God is really telling us. I can make... 
I can choose them, and that makes them special. I can choose, for he chose us in him, in Christ. And the moment he did that, we are a new creation. Even in God's mind, even before it happened, because he knew it would happen, because he ordained it, he decreed it to be so. And when we came along and believed in Christ in this particular age, in which he selected us to be here, then baptism of the Spirit happened, and we were baptized into the body of Christ. That sounds like it's a lot for us to comprehend, but yeah, God did all of that for you and me. So, for common use, right? So, out of the same lump of clay, some for special purposes and some for common use. Common use means not particularly uh, where God has chosen like Moses or Jacob, but he illustrates that he used even the resistance. And we could use that psalm. God uses the wrath of man, even the wrath of man to praise him. In other words, there's nothing man can do, even if he's angry at God, that's going to cause God and his purpose to be destroyed. You cannot. Whatever you do is going to end up being for God. Even if you're angry and raise your fist in, in, in anger, it will still eventually work out in God's favor. I mean, it's better just to get with what God wants, you would think, right? That should be the common thought here. Okay, so I could have used this word special purposes. I just threw it in here for you uh, to understand it. Uh, so point B and C are dealing with special purpose and uh, common use. So special purpose is TME a value that is money paid or concretely or collectively. Valuables, by analogy, esteem, especially in the highest degree, or the dignity itself, honor, precious, price for some. In other words, if you specifically decided to buy something that, that you saw as valuable, that's how this word could be used. And it also could come to mean honor or dishonor. In other words, if you chose this one because, you know, some honor or you chose another one because or you didn't choose that one and it automatically creates dishonor because you didn't choose that one. But that is not necessarily how it's used. So it's used according to what the context says. So when we have common use, you really have that same word, time, but you put a in front of it. And it's it atime, which is a, the ah in front of it means it's a negative. So whatever it was positive, you throw an a in front of it, it's negative now. So it is not honorable. It is not. It is, so it come. It has come to mean dishonor, right? Ignominity, ignomy, disgrace. Right? This comes from Thayer. So we, got, we just picked up a couple of the meanings here. So point D, obviously this refers to God's eternal purpose and not salvation. Because when we're talking about choosing, if God chose some for salvation and he left others in what they call, what, what they call just condemnation, then it's his choice to do it. 
but that is not what we're talking about. So that's why I say, obviously, this, this refers to God's eternal purpose. Now, God can choose who he, what he wants uh, in, in terms of what his intentions and motivations are. Not with reference to salvation, but with reference to what he wanted out of creation. So, so, so it refers to God's eternal purpose, not salvation. When it comes to salvation, God provided propitiation for the entire human race. No exceptions, right? No exceptions. In fact, there's more we can say that when it comes to salvation, there is none who are, are honorable. We're all, there is none righteous, not even one. And that was the whole thought of the Jews were making in Romans chapter 2. And even into three, where they were trying to say that they had some privilege because they had the law. They were the people of God, chosen, all this stuff. And they said, well, that should supersede salvation. I shouldn't, I mean, you, I have a special in with you, God. I said, no, no, that's not true. Everybody's born under sin. There's none righteous, not even one. There's none who do good. There's none who seek after God. All of that. And, and then later he said, therefore by the works of the law, in other words, yeah, you got the law, but by doing what the law says, no person, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Nobody. By that means of approach to God. So God's propitiation is for everybody. It's no exception. So this is completely not what salvation is. God's special choosing. It's not about salvation. So when it comes to salvation, God provided salvation for the entire human race. 1 John 2, 2. And he, Christ, is the propitiation, meaning the satisfaction of the justice of God for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So God is satisfied with believer's sins, paying for believer's sins, but also paying for sins of people who are not believers. But sins of everybody that will be born on planet Earth. Christ is the satisfaction of the justice of God. God is not looking for them with regard to sin. He's saying, you don't owe me for any of the sins you commit. I like what it says in First, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, that God is not counting our sins against us. I know this is hard for people to understand because they want to count their sins. They want to even be feeling guilty. They like that. They say, well, I'm guilty and I will dig myself out of the hole of guilt that I've created. I was bad, so I'm not bad anymore, God. I had wrong motives, but God, you know, you know my heart. I'm a really good person, God. You know me. Sounds like the same plea that the Israel tried to cop with God, but it didn't work, and it doesn't work. So what is it? What is the answer? Well, Christ is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. So if that is not the gospel you've been preaching, you haven't been preaching the gospel. You got to let people know that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting the sins against people. Yeah, that's that's the gospel. <laughs> and then and then the rest of it is 
at the end of 2 Corinthians 5, it says, He made him, Christ, to be sin for us in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So in other words, he took our sins. He didn't ask us. He just did it. But when you believe in Christ, you receive the righteousness of, of Christ. There it is, right there. God is saying that's the essence of salvation. If you want to be a minister of reconciliation, if you want to be an, an ambassador, you better know these things. They're right there in the context. So, on to this last point here. Uh, point E. If this were about salvation, and why do I keep going back over this ground is because many people just have thought that this is the case. So if that if, if this were about salvation, then we would have a major problem with God. And I'm saying it, yes, we would have a problem. Uh, so I said, see their point of view from this excerpt in the commentary, Believer's Bible. This is the Believer's Bible commentary on Romans 9 and 21. There's a lot that was said. I probably could have copied a lot in here, but I just picked this phrase. This is what they say. And I just want you to see their reasoning and how it flows. Here it is. Although God chooses some men to be saved, right? This is what I've been preaching against. And here they just cavalierly say it as though it's common knowledge. It is not. <laughs> this is wrong. So let's read it again. Although I won't, I won't interrupt anymore. I'll just read it. I'll try to contain myself. Although God chooses some men to be saved, he never chooses anyone to be damned. To put it another way, though the Bible teaches election, it never teaches divine reprobation. But someone may object, quote, if God elects some to blessing, then he necessarily elects others to destruction, unquote. But that is not true, they say. The whole human race was doomed to destruction by its own sin and not by an arbitrary decree of God. Now, you see, I have that underlined. <laughs> so... It is completely, hopefully you know what's wrong with that phrase and other phrases too. But hopefully this stands out to you as well. You got to know that the bad news for us is not because of our particular sin. It's because of how we got here and what happened with Adam. I'll keep going. <clears throat> if God allowed everyone to go to hell, he could justly have done that people will be getting exactly what they deserved. The question is, does the sovereign Lord have a right to stoop down and select a handful of otherwise doomed people to be a bride for his son? The answer, of course, is that he does. So what it boils down to is this. If people are lost, it is because of their own sin and rebellion if people are saved, it is because of the sovereign electing grace of God. So, point number two, my commentary here, this is what I would say to that whole statement, this is wrong on so many levels. Now, we could discuss this, 
offline. I see our time is getting long. We, if you have questions about why this is wrong on so many levels, if you're not sure, please, let's raise this. Let's get it out there. They're getting their views out there, but they don't have a problem with that. So we need to make sure we understand why this is not true and this thinking. Right? And a lot of this thinking comes from Romans 9. So point number, t point number uh, F in our notes, I'm closing with this thought. If salvation is not free to all, it is not free at all. Can't make it free for some and uh, grace and all that. You want to talk about grace. And then others, well, what, what grace did they get? Obviously, salvation is not free in their view. Because all don't get the same opportunity afforded them to receive it. But that is wrong. Salvation is whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you will have life in his name. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He that believes on the Son has life. He who refuses to believe shall not see life, and the wrath of God remains on him. So let's bow our heads as we close. We'll continue with this thought next week. Father, thank you for the privilege of the verses that we have had here, the context, the, the spirit of truth that has made this very clear to us. And Father, as we are in the midst of so many different opinions and thoughts on this subject. We pray that we are able to make this clear, make it plain to others what your will and purpose and plan is for the church. We thank you for this calling and we continue to pray for those who are sick among us, asking for your healing. All of this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Amen.